Future Life was something that was birthed out of what we were talking about when we were thinking of where do we go next after Easter. And one of the things that came up was we wanted to talk a little bit about heaven. Felt like it's being talked a lot about, there are films being made about it. What did Jesus have to say about it? And initially I was actually going to go in an entirely different direction, looking in the book of Corinthians, which has a lot to say about it. But I found myself drawn back to a passage, and I mentioned this last week, back to a passage, back to an exchange that occurred ironically in the hours preceding the crucifixion and you know, the betrayal and the crucifixion of Jesus. That moment in the last, the last what we call the Last Supper, that, that upper room moment. So in a way, it was in that tender moment that Jesus shared about what was yet to come. So you know what, what we're doing actually is we're thinking about the resurrection and what that means for the future, and then we're we're going to be we're actually going back even before the crucifixion to see what Jesus said about the future. And so if we can, we're going to return again to that 13th chapter of John, and I'm going to ask you to indulge me a little bit. I, we're we're focusing on this, some of the same verses that we looked at last week, but we're going to approach it from a, a different angle, and I, I believe that they will be of benefit for us. So we'll jump in uh, and look at Jesus' exchange with Peter that precipitates what he had to say about the future life. It says, Simon Peter asked, and this is in the first column there, John 13, 36. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Because Jesus had talked about going where they could not come. He says, what? And, and Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. And Peter said, but why can't, why can't I come now, Lord? He answered, I, you know, I am ready to die for you. And Jesus answered him, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, that before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will, you will deny three times that you even know me. So Peter had declared with utmost sincerity, right? I am willing to die for you, Lord. Jesus said, no, Peter, not die, deny. That's what's going to happen. And again, as I've been mentioning this, this, this was but the final piece of, of a number of things that would qualify as bad news that were shared that night. Um, it was extraordinarily unsettling. I, if we can try to imagine what it would have been like to be in that room, and just for a moment try to use our imagination to think about what was actually happening. We're reading it, but try to, try to go there a little bit. Because Jesus was talking about things that were very unsettling, things like dying and leaving. And I won't see you anymore. And what's about to happen is going to be really bad. And then on top of that, there were certain times where he even, if you looked at his body language, it was something that was very uncharacteristic of Jesus, at least as they've come to know him. He looked troubled. He even looked bothered. One might even say agitated. And then there was this un unusual conversation that occurred um, with Judas. And none of them actually were really clear on what was actually going on, but Jesus finally said something to Judas when he said, what you're going to do, you know, go and do it. Do it quickly. And it says that Judas left the room and went out into the night. And of course, the betrayal had begun. It was already in process. But they didn't know what was actually happening. Um, and then earlier, Jesus had talked about one of them betraying him and to his enemies. And that was like, what are you talking about, Lord? And then now to hear Jesus say what he just said to Peter. I mean, it was like, Peter, of all people, are, did the Lord just say that Peter was going to, to deny him? To deny him? I mean, it was, it was bewildering. It, um, it, was, it was devastatingly unsettling. Again, think about what was happening in that room. Imagine that moment when Jesus says, no, Peter, you are not going to die for me. The truth is, you are going to deny me. 
Not once, not twice. You're going to do it three times. It will be emphatic and it will be clean. You will do this. You will, you, will, you, will, you will let it be known to all that you have nothing to do with me. And can you imagine Peter in that moment? I mean, if you were to ask, have taken a poll of the disciples as to who was the least likely one to turn on Jesus, I, I, I believe a majority of them would have said, Peter. They must have been like, what did Jesus just say? And to be looking at Peter in that moment as well. It's like, and probably the person that was most stunned by what Jesus said was Peter himself, who was probably shaken by what Jesus said was about to happen. No, Lord, no, Lord. No, no, no. So what I'm trying to get at is every, everything seemed to be collapsing, um, falling apart. So in that room, in that darker, dark room with the, the oil lamps flickering with light and the shadows, sat the 11, and Jesus could see it. We know he could see something in their eyes. He could sense it. He was looking at them. They were watching what was happening, listening to what was being said. The truth is, these men, he could see it. They were scared. They were afraid. They were now worried. You know what? It's not unlike when I, I try to think about it. There have been times where I'm listening to someone share something, and all of a sudden, it's like they're saying, telling me something that's not good, and, and then something that was completely unexpected. And it, it, it starts to shake you a little bit. It's, it, it, can get, it can begin to, no, no. And I think in that moment, they were very shaken. These were strong men. They were shaken. It was like, it hadn't just been one bad news. It had culminated with Peter, but it had been a series of things that were just sort of like, what is going on here? And, and the, the, in my mind, part of what the, the beautiful part of what's happening here is that even though Jesus was under enormous pressure, and I don't think, I know for a fact, we cannot appreciate the pressure that he was feeling in this moment because it wasn't just a physical pressure. I mean, if, if, it, if it can be said, and I say it with some degree of trepidation, if it can be said that the physical aspect of Jesus' suffering, and it was going to be extraordinarily bad, if we can say that the physical suffering, as ugly and bad as it would be, for what was about to happen to his body, was overwhelmed, really, by the emotional and spiritual weight of what he was bearing. For he knew he was going to fulfill the purpose of Father, the Heavenly Father, and bear the guilt, not just of one man, but of a world. And he would experience for the first time ever separation from the Father. That was something. And then on top of that, there were things looming around him at a spiritual level. I don't think we can appreciate the pressure. And yet, in the midst of that, he did something that is so beautiful, so remarkable. He paused to steady them. And it's something that every, I honestly, he's modeling what every good leader does. He's modeling, honestly, what loving parents do. He's mod modeling what I see a lot of moms do. Um, he's laying aside his own trouble and he's settling their hearts, I think is beautiful. 
Look, what he, look at the setting here. Look what happens. Because remember, that, that first verse of chapter 14, which we just kind of put as part of a continuum there in that first column, it, it follows this moment. So Jesus says, as, as he's just finished saying this about Peter, he then turns to them and he, he focuses in on them and he says, now listen, I know you are afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't, the other verse says, do not be afraid. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Um, notice this idea of don't let fear grip you is what he's kind of getting at. Don't let your hearts be troubled. It's almost like Jesus saying to them in this moment as they're stunned by what he's been saying and what's actually happened. And now find the final blow being Peter. He says to them, now listen to me right now. Do not let fear grip you. I know this looks bad. It looks very bad. But this is a time. Now hear me. This is a time. There has ever been a time, this is a time to trust me. It's a time to trust God. It's a time to trust me in this moment. And it was powerful. I need you to believe. I need you, look what he says there. I need you to believe in God. I need you to believe in me. Trust in God, trust in me. Notice, do you see it? The command, the exhortation, that word has two sides to it. It has a negative and a positive. What's the negative? Do not be afraid. Do not let your heart be troubled. So this is what I don't want you to do right now. Don't let fear get the best of you in this moment. And then the positive, the second piece, you need to believe in God, you need to believe in me. This is a time to exercise faith. You need to trust me in this most difficult moment. And it's good to remember and consider the context again, which is why I wanted to present it this way, the context in which that first verse is, is said. Because oftentimes, verse number one of, of John 14 is quoted like a standalone a verse. And it's one of the most more quoted verses in the, in the Bible. Do not let your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Right? Don't be afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. That, I think, you know, one writer suggested, it's good not to allow the familiarity of the words, listen, to, to sort of like, I guess, obscure their greatness. To, and, and to realize for a moment just how incredible these words were in light of what was actually happening. I mean, the, when we really look at the enormity of what was taking place and how everything was melting down, and then for Jesus to say this in the middle of that to them, I mean, it was incredible. It's like everything's crumbling. The group, the group of followers has been whittled down to 11 shaken people sitting in a room. And he says to them, as they're sitting alone, you know, afraid, under the flickering light of oil lamps, he's saying, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets, you need to trust me, you need to believe in me, you need to, oh, listen to me, I'm telling you right now, all, all is well. All, all will be well. And he knows that in less than 24 hours, his life is going to be extinguished, just like the oil lamps are going to be extinguished, the ones that are sitting on the table and illuminating the room, the ones they'll put out when they leave. He knows that his life's about to be put out. He knows it will seem like every hope was dashed, that all is lost. But in this he moment, he says, look at me. You must believe. You must trust me in this moment. I tell you of certainty, God is on the march. He is moving. And now look, and then, and then look at verse 2. He finishes. He then says, I'm going to tell you one more thing. He says, there is, in fact, he says, I'm going to tell you this. This is not it. There is even more than this. He says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. And if it were not so, I would tell you that 
I tell you, even in this moment, that I am going to prepare a place for you. You know, and I'm looking at that because he's sending them into the future. He says, not only is this going to go in a direction you can't see right now, and you need to trust me right now. He's saying, it's going to take us into a new life, a new place. That's what I'm talking about. And I look at that and I go, you know, I'm looking at Jesus and I'm saying, you know, I love him so much in this moment. I, I, I think it's one of the, to me, one of the most deep, deeply um, admirable places. I mean, what an example Jesus sets for us, if you can really appreciate it of tenderness and of concern, of selflessness. I mean, it's just stunning. You know, I've heard people say, oh, well, because again, what is he doing? He's, he's, <laughs> he has all this weight on him, and yet he's, he's, pain, he's, he's tending to them. And people say, well, yeah, but you know, he's, he's like, you know, Jesus is different than us. He's the son of God. As a way of suggesting that he really can't relate to the challenge, you know, that, that, I don't know, that maybe a lot of us face sometimes that are the, the humanness of what we experience. I've heard people say, oh, yeah, well, you know, Jesus, you've got to remember that he was sinless. And so, you know, when he does things, it's because it's not really the same like you and me. And to some degree, I understand where people are coming from because I get it. I mean, he's, he is no, there's no question. Jesus was different than us. I mean, he was Messiah. He was son of God. He was the Christ. But you know what? The Bible makes this clear, very clear. That he was also, the Bible, the Bible emphatically presents this, he was a fully human being. And in this moment, he was never more human. Let me show you a couple of things. These are, this is in the Bible. You'll, I put a, a middle passage there in the middle column from the book of Hebrews. Um, instead of jumping to verse 16, just start with me at verse 17 there. Therefore, it was necessary. Speaking of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says this. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Now, if anybody wants to know why Jesus came, look at this verse. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. And since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is actually able to help us when we are being tested. Do you understand that part of what is being said here is that although Jesus is different, sinless, yes, he could totally relate to you and me in our struggles. That's what's implied here in getting, in getting at. I asked them if they could put another thing up on the, on the board. Hebrews 4 says this, and again, a great book. It says, so then, since we have a great, and look, it states it even more explicitly, right? Since we have a great high priest who has entered, by the way, what is that verse telling us? Heaven is a place. In light of that, Jesus, the Son of God, look what he says, hold, come on, Hold firmly. Hold firmly. Hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of, our, of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings as we do. Yet, he did not sin. Jesus knows what it is like to experience humanity. We might say, well, God is different. Yes, but God came to us in, in a human being. And that is the message of the gospel, that he understands our frame. He understands our struggles. That's what Hebrews is getting at. Jesus is not so unrelatable. We know what God is like because of Jesus. And when we see his face, when we see who he is, it shares, it tells us what God is like. That's why Jesus would say later on, do you not understand that if you have seen me, you have seen God, you have seen the Father. Look, look I'll, I'll, what I'm trying to point out is that Jesus' actions were the actions of a human being. 
and shouldn't be dismissed casually just because he was also the son of God. He limited himself to his humanity. And in this moment, he was acting out of his humanity. He literally laid aside his deity. Look what it says. And this will be the, I won't push it past this, but look at Philippians 2 in that third column. It says that you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The Apostle Paul says it clearly. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something that he had to cling to. No, instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. And so I, I say it's, what the Bible is presenting is that Jesus is really completely experiencing life in this moment. And in this moment in the upper room, we go back to, he is fully aware of what is happening. I mean, he knows what is coming. He knows the betrayal. He understands the suffering, the pain, the humiliation, the forsakenness, the abandonment. He knows, and we shouldn't miss this, he knows that these 11 men who he's looking at and who he's invested three years into, <laughs> he knows that within hours, they are going to utterly disappoint him. That they will break under the weight of spirit and flesh. That when the moment arrives, and the hourglass, by the way, had already been turned, it was already going, he would have to walk the path to what we call Golgotha, Calvary, that he would have to walk the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. He would have to do it all alone, utterly alone. No one would be with him in the moment. And I, I, I think about it, and yet, and so what I'm saying is, even with that understanding, he looks into their eyes with the, if I can say it this way, with the chill of hell looming around him, and his concern is not for himself. Later on, it would be, he would say, if, can, in the garden, he would go, can you pray with me? I, I do need, it, you could help me. I could use some, if, just someone to stand with me in this moment, because it's going to get really hard and he, he would pray, and he asked a few of them, can you just pray with me? I don't even expect you to understand what I'm doing, but I, if you could just pray with me. And we know that they fell asleep. They're so real like us. But in this moment, I think about him going, Jesus has got all this on him, and yet his concern is for them. It's for their well-being. It, it was for their peace. He's contending for their peace. Well, he's about ready to give it all. I'm stunned. And it got me thinking. I just want to present this and sort of have us to consider it and think about it and play it into our own lives. But here's the first thing I'll shed with there on the board. There are going to be times when God's going to require us, need us to follow his example and lay aside our own concern to help someone who's really in trouble. That, just as Jesus, our model, set aside his own needs and ministered life to his faltering friends, with eyes of fear and shaken, shaken hearts. I mean, there are going to be times when God's going to ask us to do this, when everything in us is going to want to say, well, what about me? What about what I deserve? Why aren't you guys paying attention to me? Do you understand what I'm about to do? Where are you? I need you. I, I can't right now be giving myself to you. I'm going to give myself to the, away for the world. I don't have time for this. You know, that's not what he did. Listen to me. Do not let fear grip your heart. You trust in God, you trust in me. It, it is powerful. Someone was asking me, they said, you know, I, I, 
He said, this was last night, and I, I applauded this man. I said, you know what? I said, I commend you. He was totally new, really new to the faith. I don't even know if he's made that commitment, but he was wrestling with what was being shared. You know what he said to me? He goes, you know, I, he says, I, how do I know who I'm supposed to help? He says, because am I supposed to just walk up to people? And I said, you know, I appreciate what you're saying because you know what you're telling me right now? You are wrestling with this. You didn't just like sit here and then gone. It's like you, it meant you were taking it in. I go, I commend you. I said this. Obviously, we can help people that we don't know. I, I said, even in our church right now, the, the irony is, of course, maybe not so, that this weekend in many ways is about blessing those who have so much less. This compassion weekend. But I said, actually, in your context, my friend, after you've explained to me, I said, you know what I think? I think it actually has more to do with trying to look for people somehow to help. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but I'm saying, actually, I think what we're talking about was, is within the framework of your relationships. When you're tempted to be really upset, indifferent, apathetic, just want, don't want to be involved, I go, what about the context of your friends and your work relationships? I go, where are you there? What would, what would it look like to do this within the framework of your, of your friends and family? What does that mean to be sacrificial? What does it mean to say, it's not just about me? But don't you know where I'm at? I'm so, I've got so much. And then to say, out of that place, see, do, you see how, do we see how Christ-like it is to say, it is not just about me. It's about giving. And I know, I know there are times where we can't until we, we may be so depleted that we've got to get ourselves in a better place because we can't even love healthily because we're, we've got so much stuff going on. I get that, but I'm going to say this. There's a lot of times where the Lord is going to say, you know what? This isn't about you. It's about giving your life for others. It's not about running off and doing something just to take care of yourself. It's about giving your life away. That's why I said, I said there's something around this. I thought, of, I, I thought of a heart of a mother who gives all the time. It's always giving. You know what? And I'm not saying fathers don't do that, but there's something about it that I noted. I see Jesus. I see Jesus just so beautifully modeling what real courage looks like. It is not wielding the weapon. It is, it is, it is ruling your will and sacrificing. That's true greatness. Secondly, and I'll just stick this right on behind it. You hear this out. I think there are going to be times when we're going to need to surrender our fear to God. Do you see it? They were afraid. And I get why they were afraid. I do. Because you know when the pillars of our world start to shake and we, we begin to wonder, is, is this thing, whole thing going to fall apart? You know, in those moments in life, it's really hard not to panic. I get it. I've been there. Look, some of us are maybe there right now. Someone, I, I was thinking about, you know, I, I was just thinking about different things that happen in life, you know, when we're in a bad, when we know that a bad diagnosis may be looming and we're afraid, either for ourselves or for someone else. When there's a, a critical relationship that has a great meaning to us and we can see it crumbling and we feel powerless to do anything about it. In those moments where we feel like, I, I just, I'm, I'm out of money. How am I going to do it? I've talked to different people. I say, you know, what about those moments where sometimes we're overwhelmed by what's going on with our world and all that? Sometimes it's, it's just weird. We just, there's so much bad stuff going on all the time. It, it's sometimes, you know, just 
It's like it just seems like it's chaotic out there. There's, there's always something happening in some part of the world, in our own land, some, something crazy, something wild. We, it, it, it's just, it, could be, it, it can make us afraid. We can start to live with fear. And then, of course, for me, those times when we hear a voice on the inside, and that voice says, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You don't have enough strength. You're going to fail. God isn't really with you. He isn't stronger than your weakness. In that moment, I... I look at Jesus and I look at him. He's looking them in the eye. Go back there. Go back there. Because I think a few times I've felt him looking me in the eye as well. And I hear these words, the words that I know he was saying to them right there. You know what he was saying? As they were afraid, very afraid, he said, steady, men, steady. Calm your heart. Do not let fear run rampant. Don't let it overwhelm you. Then you see what he says? Believe. This is a time for faith. This is a time to trust. Believe in God. Believe in me. Some situations just need, honestly, we just need to let them be. I, it's like, I'm not going to try to control this, Lord. I, I, I need to, what I need to do right now, and that's why even sometimes in prayer, I'll, I'll even say, let's just say, Lord, I open my hands up and I say, God, I'm not in control of anything. I, I help me to, I can feel, I can feel that I'm trying to control this thing. I feel like, Lord, I'm trying to hold it. I don't know why. I need to trust you. I need to trust you. Help me. Help me to trust you right now, to surrender to you. I give you my fear. I give you what I cannot control. I give you my anger. I give it to you. I, help me trust you to believe in you, to walk with you. Jesus said it, believe in God. Believe in me. Do not let fear grip you. Don't let it define you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, the scripture says, and of soundness of mind. A lot of times it's like we're going crazy on the inside, trying to battle it out. And God's saying, surrender that to me. Trust me in this moment. And I say sometimes, Lord, just give me the will to want to, to believe that I can. Because there's a part of me that didn't even want to try. And you got to do it. This is when he's saying, believe in me. Believe it. Turn to me now. I know you don't understand. I get it. I get it. You're not. It's going to get even harder to understand. Believe in me. Believe in what I'm about to do. And then that leads to the third piece, which is this. He, he takes it home. He's, and I think it's good for us. Remember that we are to anchor our trust in what Jesus taught us about the future, the future life. That's a, he brings it into the conversation. I wouldn't have done it if he didn't do it. And it's almost like he says, look. He, he notice what he says. Look. He says, if this wasn't true, I would tell you right now. That, that is incredible. When does Jesus ever have to say that? He never does. It's not like, oh, Jesus, oh, you, you have to qualify yourself, Jesus, because we won't believe you. Then, look, what he says, he says, look, there is more than enough room in my father's house. If it were not so, I would have told you. What he is saying is, and I go to prepare a place for you. This is not the end. This is not the end. And if you think it is, you are mistaken. And there is a place, and I am going there. 
And you need to understand, he's saying, look, you need to believe me in this moment. I know it doesn't look good. I know it looks really bad. But he's calling, he's calling to rise up. He's calling all of us to rise there. Look, it's like he's saying, if it were not true, I would tell you, look, I'm not going to try to mislead you. I'm not trying to, to sell you a false path or a false hope. I'm, I'm not trying to prop you up. I'm telling you, it's almost like he could tell. I know what I'm saying sounds incredible. But I am telling you. I am telling you. I go to prepare a place for you. And later on, we're going to see it, that where you are, where I am, you may be also. Amen. That. It's like, it's, and you know what? What was part of that preparation? It, do you see what he's saying? Look, do you see the progression? Believe in God. God is big. Believe in God. Trust in God. Trust in me. Right? And then believe that I have a place beyond this life. There is more to come. Now you need to believe. Now see, he's really getting in. It's almost like he's saying the first part of the preparation is to give my life away as a ransom for many. But in a way, Jesus' death and resurrection become the bridge to the future life. It's, and I love the fact, I'm not, saying, I'm, just, I'm not trying to make more of it than it seems, but the, it's, it's vertical and horizontal. It's both relational and it has to do with our relationship with God. It's a perfect model, metaphor of what it means. He gives his life away as a pathway, as a bridge to God, and it becomes not only a bridge to the future, it becomes an anchor for the present. And, and people say, well, and that, what, it's a bridge to heaven. What is heaven? What is it like? I, you know, I'll, I'll say this. If you, if you take a look at the book of Genesis and you look at the book of Revelations, and then along the way there's a lot of things that are said indirectly about heaven and such, but you combine them out and you start playing it out, one of the things I'll say is this, and there's a great verse in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, that most direct context talks about Jesus' death and what it means for our future as well. But part of it was saying that it was the fulfillment of something that changes everything. He's quoting from Isaiah. He says, you know what? The eye has not seen nor the ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And not only has that a reference to Jesus, but it has a reference to everything that Jesus brings. And we were thinking about heaven as you put these, these teachings together, we're going to see that heaven appears as is presented to be a place, a safe, loving, creative, active place. He prepares a place. If I can put it this way, it appears to be mesmerizing, intellectually stimulating, shockingly beautiful, pain, sorrow, exploitation-free. No tear, no wound, no more hunger, and forever. Could, with no bodily limitations, a body different but the same, and forever. Believe, it's like, it's almost like, could it be? And Jesus invites us to imagine with him what is beyond. But here's the deal. It's like Jesus says, look, look, you believe in God, you believe in me, now I want you to believe in a place that I'm going to prepare. You've got, look, and that, and here's the deal. I've, I've sat with that and I go, Lord, Lord, that, that, that's like, that's like if, Lord, a lot of my struggle, I think, is connected to me having a hard time believing your words. Because if I really believe what you say about the future, then it's going to impact the decisions I make in the present. It is. It's going to affect how I negotiate my own heart. It's going to affect how I keep my commitments. It's going to affect how I define success. 
It's going to affect how I let go of things. It's going to affect what, what, what means the most to me. If this is not the end, because see, if this is the end, this is all there is, this bracket of what we know as temporary life, then I get why people will sell out on their commitments and do reckless things. Because why not? It's all about me. This is all there is. But Jesus says, it isn't. And if that is true, and we get to decide, but remember he said, believe. We get to, if, when that actually happens, you know what that does? It invites us to surrender. It invites us to surrender. And to say, Lord, I want to live my life as you want me to live it. The good, the bad, and even the, the difficult places, I trust you in them all. Work in me, work through me, work around me. Jesus Christ, my Savior, help me to honor you with a well-lived life, to trust in your words. Let those words define me. That's not just a pipe dream of what is future. Let it be something that impacts the present. You see it? So one of the things I would like us to think about doing as I close in prayer, and we're going to have a song that connects and then we'll have our time of giving, but I want to ask you, for those of you who want to, I'm going to pray a prayer, and, and if you want to just like kind of hold your hands out before the Lord, I'm going to just pray this prayer. It's kind of like a surrendered prayer of our fears and concerns. But Lord, I just want to ask you, even as you invited us to do, Lord, we just want to, you know, whatever it is right now that's gripping us, and we might be being gripped by more than a few things. There might be some things that are honestly, the, the truth is, and no one may even know it, but we're afraid. And, and part of us is acting out, or we're considering it. And I believe, Lord, we need to surrender those things. We need your grace. We need your grace. We need to believe what you have given us to believe, to trust in God, to trust in you, and to trust in a promise that reaches beyond time into what is yet to be. Let that define our hearts, Lord, and help us. Help us, we pray. We, we give to you, Lord, the things that we cannot control. Help thou my unbelief and give us faith. I pray for your grace flow like a gift, and let your love, Lord, fill our lives, deliver us from our fears, teach us not to panic, but to trust. I ask for this blessing, and I ask for it in Jesus' name, amen.